All right, guys, tonight we come to our last and final session together, session number seven. Now, I want to challenge you guys to be all in for this last one. You guys have been pretty in for all of them. But maybe for some of you who have taken advantage of this time to doze off or doodle, I want you guys to really focus in tonight and hear what the Spirit of God wants to speak to you. We're looking tonight at a message entitled Inheritance and Beyond. Inheritance and Beyond. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter, what do you think it is? Eight, eight right? Romans chapter eight. We're going to be looking at our passage plus what comes after. You know how this morning we looked at verse 14 and then what came before? So tonight, we're going to look at our whole themed passage, verses 14 through 17, but then what comes after, the beyond, inheritance and beyond. We started on Monday night at the beginning of how to be adopted. We've learned about what we've been adopted from, which is bondage to sin and death. We learned from Pastor Jack what we have been adopted to, which is that intimate personal relationship with God the Father that we can call him Abba or Papa. We have discussed the Holy Spirit's role of being that guarantee of salvation by sealing us until that day of redemption and how it is by the Holy Spirit's witness in our life that we can have that absolute confidence that we will see God in eternity. This morning, remember we transitioned from talking about being a child of God to Okay, well, the now what? What comes after? And so we really talked about this morning kind of what comes after from the point that says, I am a child of God to the point of death. We are led by the Spirit of God our entire lives. But what about when a child of God dies? What happens then? What comes next? Well, for us, that is the biggest benefit and implication of what it means to be a child of God. It is awesome to be led by the Spirit day by day. But this is not the end. This is not the end for you and I. It's only the beginning. And though our adoption is final, right, it is never to be reversed, you and I have yet to experience our adoption in its fullness. We are not home yet. Right? Adoption speaks about a home. It really does. You take someone who was in a different home and you then put them in your home. This is not our home. We have not yet come to the fullness of what God has for you and I. There's much more coming. And sure, we get a little taste of heaven here. We experience blessings and benefits here on earth. We are able to have peace with God and then the peace of God, and you know there's a difference. We're at peace with God, meaning we're no longer enemies of him. But then God then also gives us his peace to have a calm in the storms of life. You and I, one of our other benefits is we have access and boldness to enter the throne room of the almighty God at any time, anywhere, for any reason. God says, come, not just come, but come with boldness. He says, I'm accessible to you. How awesome is that? God says, I'm accessible to you anytime 
you need me, which you and I need him every moment of every day. We have the blessing of having the family of God as a community. Look around you. The, the very fact that you have brothers and sisters in Christ is a blessing from God. It's a benefit of being in the family. We are experiencing community here that no one else in the world apart from Christ is able to experience. There's all kinds of clubs. There's all kinds of people that have commonalities, whether it's sports, whether whatever it is. But there's nothing as deep as the spiritual bond between God's people. But honestly, the best is yet to come. I believe it'll take all of eternity for you and I to experience the fullness of what it is to be a child of God. Think about it. God is an infinite God. Do you know what the word infinite means? Boundless. There is no bound. There is no walls. There is no, this is who he is. He's infinite. He is everlasting, the Bible says. And so anything he does has infinite implications. His goodness is infinite. His kindness is everlasting. It has no bounds. And so you and I will never get to a point where we say, all right, I think I've experienced all the goodness and kindness of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What are we going to do in eternity? We are going to day by day experience the kindness of God. That's his heart for us. God says, I can't wait for that day that you come home and that I can just show you more of my blessings and kindness. Anything, anything good that you experience here, any good food, any good fun, any good relationship is a small preview of what is to come. There is much more coming. Now, we've started our week talking about that context of adoption. If you remember the first message that I talked to you about of Paul, who was a Roman citizen, writing to the Romans. And so they had this ancient Roman understanding of adoption. And at that time, like I shared with you on Monday, the most common motive for adoption in that day was to provide an heir. It was to provide something who would inherit what that person had. If a wealthy adult was childless, he would often adopt a slave who was a male to be his son and heir. Often that adopted child, like I said, was a slave and, and rarely adopted actually infants. Adoption would then bestow that child with all the benefits and responsibilities that they, they were trying to seek someone who is going to take what I have. And you see, for you and I, because of our adoption, the Bible says that we become co-heirs with Christ. At one time, we were slaves with nothing, no inheritance. And because God says, I want you to be part of my family, God says, now what is mine is yours. I want you to listen. We're about to read the passage and pray, but we got to get this. God says, what is mine is now yours. You are 
the heir to all that God has. How much does God have? What is not God's? Sin is not something. Sin is the absence of something. There is nothing outside of God's jurisdiction. He is the creator God. He is the almighty. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. There is no one greater. There is no one like him. There is no one comparable. And God says, what is mine is yours. Let's read Romans chapter 8. We'll start in verse 14, which has been our passage. But we're going to read a little bit past it. Down to verse 25. You guys have your Bibles open? All right. Verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage against the fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, that's earth, universe, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now, together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Papa, Abba, we ask tonight that you would give us insight of what is to come, that you would put in us an excitement and eagerness for the life to come. Lord, and as we begin to realize and understand the benefits of this, that it would cause us to live every day here differently. Every day that we're not home with you. That it would cause us to look forward to that day and it would literally change how we live. Lord, open our minds and our hearts to the grandeur and the majesty of who you are and what you have planned for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Well, point number one tonight, you can note down, is our inheritance. We find this in verse 17 and 18. We have hit throughout our camp, verse 14, 15, and 16, and it's time to move to our final verse in our passage, which is verse 17. Verse 17, and then we will also throw in there 
18. And this is simply, this is our inheritance, okay? Paul begins to move into those final benefits of what it entails to those who are now called children of God. Listen, it would have been enough if we had been freed from our bondage to sin. It would have been enough for God to be able to relate to him in such a personal way. It would have been enough for us to have the assurance of salvation when we die one day. But God doesn't stop there. He goes beyond. He goes further. He says, I not only want you to know me as father, I not want only you to be freed and experience confidence and assurance here. He says, that is only the tip of the iceberg. I have so much more coming for you. Look at verse 17. He says, that you and I, because if children, that word if is better translated since, and since children, that's already been established, right? You are ch children of God. And if you're a child, then you are also an heir. They are equivalent with one another. They, they, they come, they, they cannot be separated. There are no children of God who aren't also heirs of God. Now, what is an heir? An heir is a person who is entitled by law or by the terms of a will to inherit the state of another. Simply put, it's someone who will inherit the possessions of a parent. That, that's typically what it is, okay? An inheritance is to take something that is someone else's and now that is yours. The logic of this makes sense. If we really are, if God's serious about this whole family thing, and we really are children of God, then it would follow, it would make sense that we are also his heirs. Which means he really does consider us his. This isn't just a nice thing that God was like, well, I just want you to feel really included and just kind of feel nice about yourselves. And so I'm going to just refer to you as my children, but it's not like really like that. That's not what God says. It's not just an illustration. You know, God uses a lot of illustrations in the Bible. Like, for example, we looked at John 10, 27 this morning, the illustration of he says, I'm the shepherd, you are sheep. Like, we're not really his sheep, right? But we really are his children. It, it actually goes beyond just an illustrative point. There's some, there's some really big truths to this. Galatians 4, 7. He says, therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son. And notice the logic. He uses that type of kind of reasoning again. And if a son, then of course, then an heir of God through Christ. It is not by what we have done, but by what God did for us that we get to be his daughter and, and sons. And so then we get to be an heir. It's through the goodness of God, not through the goodness of us. Right? He doesn't. He didn't see us, and he's like, oh, he's going to do a really good job with what I give him. No, it wasn't because of us. It is through Christ. I'm going to say through Christ. We are only heirs through Christ. Titus 3, 7 says that having been justified by his grace, we should become, what does it say? Let's try it again. That having been justified by his grace, we should become what? Heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All by his grace. And so the, the, the capstone or the, the, the biggest part of our inheritance is the fact that God says you will live forever. Jesus said that if you believe in me, though you may die, yet you shall live. 
And so this is the biggest part of our inheritance. It's the fact that when we die, it's not the end. God says, when you die, it's just your, your, your ticket in. When you die, it's your graduation to heaven. It's actually a celebratory moment. When you get to heaven, people are like, oh man, like you died. When you get to heaven, they're going to be like, woo, you made it. You, you, you did it. You, you made it to the end. You finished your race. This is awesome. We got so much to show you. We're going to spend all of eternity, and God's just like, his goodness is going to get better every single day. And we're going to do more things and new things, and it's going to be amazing. It gets better. Now, notice this. He not only says that we are heirs of God, but that we are joint heirs with Christ. I got to be honest with you guys. This is one of the most wild things to me in the whole Bible that I'm probably going to be chewing on all the way until eternity and beyond. Joint heirs with Christ. I want you to note this down. Look at verse 17. It says that we are joint heirs with Christ. Christ is the son of God. And so we know that he is the heir of all things. And so because you and I are also children of God, now it's different, of course. We don't have the same position, but he's not talking about position. He's talking about possessions. You want to note that down. We are not joint heirs with Christ in the sense that we are going to become God when we get to heaven. But God says, I'm going to hold nothing back. What mine, what is mine, is what is yours. Not in position, but in possessions. Joint heirs, it, it means to be a fellow heir or co-heir, a person who has the same inheritance as another. Typically, depending on how the family is, right, if someone has kids uh, in the ideal, right, in the, in the non, you know, there shouldn't be the, the playing of favorites, there would be the same inheritance given to both children, okay? That is the idea that they, that they would be co-heirs of the same inheritance. It, it would be mutually uh, shared in that way. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. So what does Jesus have? Quite simply, he has everything. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 tells us about Jesus. Look, it says, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Who is his son? Who is his son? Jesus, whom he, being God the Father, has appointed heir of, what does it say? Does it say most things? Some things? Majority of things? 99% of things? All things through whom also he made the worlds. I honestly don't know what that exactly means. And I don't think anyone with confidence could tell you what that all implies. However, we got to trust God at his word. Though we might not know all the details, he says... Everything is mine. And because you are a joint heir with Christ, everything is yours. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 through 23, also says something similar. Paul says, therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, it's a reference to Peter, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. 
I think the idea of this is God says, I'm inviting you completely in. There's going to be nothing between us. That it's this concept where God's like, I want to share everything with you. Because when you love someone in that way, you want everything you have to be everything that they have. And you want everything they have to be everything you have. You don't want these, these, this, this separation. I think what God is seeking to communicate through this concept is God says, I don't want anything between us. How cool is that? It's an amazing thing. Have you guys ever heard someone say, I want to give you the world? You know, it's kind of a saying that, you know, it's kind of a, a, a cutesy saying. You, oh, man, maybe, maybe your dad has said it to, to some of you ladies. Man, I just want to give you the world. Ladies, maybe you will find uh, later in your life, not now. Now, one day when you're a grown woman, that you'll find uh, someone who is a man who would say something like that wants to say, listen, I want to give you the world. And when someone says that, it's the idea that they want to give you everything th that they can. Now, they, they can't give you the world because that's not theirs to give. This is the idea. Yet with God, he has the power to do so. God has the power to do so. That's the difference. When speaking to the lukewarm church, listen in Revelation 3. Look at what Jesus says. Revelation 3.21 says, To him who overcomes, the person who puts their faith in me day after day and overcomes the temptation, filth, and sin of this world, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now remember, we're not talking about position. It's not that we're going to, right? Some religions think that when we get to heaven, we're going to then have our own world and we're going to have our own reign of things. But God says, He's saying, like, I, I want to scoot over. I want, I want to do this together. As, as we deal with sin, and God says, I'm going to be done away with sin and create a new heaven and a new earth, I, I want to do it together. Man, that is, that is just an awesome thing. He wants to be close to us in every way. Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6 says this. Oh, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup you maintain my lot the lions have fallen to me in pleasant places yes i have a good inheritance this is david writing and i think he understood something very key to this whole thing that our inheritance isn't about just something we get it is who we get to be with david would say that god you are my inheritance god you're all i need Sure, the stuff is nice and, and, and doing things is nice. But there's nothing better than a relationship like this. And David would say, you are the portion of my inheritance. And he would say, it is good. Revelation 21, 7. This is at the end of the book, right? You know what the last chapter in the book is? Chapter 22. 21 is the second to last chapter. But it's as he's beginning to wrap things up. 
This is what Jesus says. It's something similar that we saw in Revelation 3, right? He says, he who overcomes shall inherit, again, all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Are you guys beginning to see the heart of God for you? I hope you are. Yet we know that in all these things that, that we get, and, and, and ultimately God is the forefront of that, we're still here on earth, right? We have not yet experienced that inheritance. As I said before, we get previews, we get tastes of the goodness to come, and it is good. But for now, there, are, there is suffering mixed in. Look at verse 18. All right, we haven't read this yet together. But look at verse 18. He says, For I consider, this is together, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So it seems like Paul was kind of contemplating this exact idea. That he's going to be with God one day. That God's going to hold nothing back from him. That it's going to be a relationship without separation in any way. And, he, and, and so then he begins to look at the struggles of life. Okay, so he's looking forward to eternity. He's like, man, can't wait to get home. And then he looks at his current situation, which if you know a thing about Paul, he didn't have it easy. In fact, when he first started following Jesus, Jesus told him, uh, sorry, Jesus didn't tell him. Jesus told the guy who, who then would help him in the beginning, his name was Ananias. He said that Paul was going to have a life of suffering from the very beginning and so then paul looks at his situation he says he's looking there he's looking at eternity and then he's looking presently and he looks at eternity and then he looks there and he says okay this seemed like a big deal until i started looking to what's coming and then when he began to do the comparison and he's like huh this is what's coming this is what's current this is what's coming this is what's current and, and, and what was coming began to be a whole lot better, and it gave him perspective that he could say, it is not worthy to be compared. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says something similar. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. How do we get through the difficult stuff of life? It's looking not at what is, but what is coming. Can I get an Amen. Now, the suffering is real nonetheless. Even though good is coming, and God says, I'm going to wipe away the tear, I'm going to take away the pain, that sin is going to be gone. I mean, think about it. You're never going to be tempted ever again. You're never going to experience physical pain. You're never going to cry. And, and, and God says he's going to wipe away all the tears. It's the last bit of sadness. But it's real now. And we're not the only ones affected by sin. Did you guys know that? Humans are not the only, uh, the only thing uh, affected by the curse of sin. But Paul goes on here, and he talks about how the first sin was more expansive than we might have considered. You can note down point number two. We also see creation's groan. All right, We find this in verses 19 through 22. We see creation's groan now we read these verses a few minutes ago and there's a lot in here and we're simply just not going to unpack it tonight 
uh, because this eighth chapter of Romans is very deep. But we will touch the surface. I want you guys to understand that God's physical creation, not just humans, we know that humans were affected. And how were humans affected by the curse of sin? Does anyone know? Yeah, Randy. Okay, so that we, we gave a foothold to Satan in our life. What are some other implications for humans? Yeah. Yeah, so we not only die faster, we die at all, right? Death enters the world before that. Uh, yeah, Lincoln. Ch- huh? Child labor? Like just labor in general, right? Like, right, he says, uh, he says Adam, I mean child labor too. I don't know what, that's just amazing. That's so good. Uh, yeah, that too, because, I mean, child labor is kind of, like, sinful, because, you know, you know okay. Childbirth, labor, yes. So, <laughs> that is so great. Okay, hold this together. So, yes, pain in child labor. Listen, so before child labor, we actually believe was enjoyable, okay, because of the curse of sin. Uh, so, you can thank Adam and Eve for that one, ladies. Um, and we also know some other things, right? We're told that one of the, the curses was the fact that work would be hard, the sweat of the brow. So I don't know if sweat wasn't a thing before, uh, before the sin. I, as you can see up here, uh, I wish that that was still the case. But, but we know some of those things. But listen, it also, the curse of sin also affected the ground. We're told in Genesis 2 that the ground was cursed for Adam's sake, right? Adam was given dominion over earth. God says, here are the keys to everything on planet earth. Name the animals, cultivate the earth, have babies, fill it up, all right? That's what Adam was told. Now, he forfeited that right by sinning against God and giving in to the devil. And so because of that, the result was drastic changes to earth. We do not live on the same type of planet that God had first created. It is that the things that happen here are not the same thing that happened when God originally created. We don't often think about it, but sin had lots of physical effects on the earth. This is true in simple and big things. Whether it comes to natural disasters and causes and things that kill people, uh, that, that was not the case. But one of the simple things is even thorns. We're told that before the fall, you could pick up a rose, and there wouldn't be thorns on it. God tells Adam that as a result of what he did, it has effects on the physical creation. But there is a day coming where God says, I'm not, even, I'm not only going to restore you as a human, and you're going to receive the inheritance, but there's going to be a time where I make all things new. Revelation 21.5, note it down. Then he, being Jesus, who sat on the throne, says, behold, I make, what does it say? All things new. All. He doesn't say most. He doesn't just say humans. You see, I believe all things doesn't just include us as humans, but everything that God made in Genesis chapter 1, God says, I'm going to make it all new as it was always supposed to be and so during this passage if you look there in verses 19 through 22 this is what is being talked about the fact that there is a time 
when even creation itself is going to be relieved from the curse of sin. It still has the effects. There are still thorns. There are still natural disasters. Earth is not as it once was. Notice there in verse 21. Look in your Bibles. It says this, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, you might say, I don't understand the connection here. Look at verse 21. Because God has redeemed us, the earth is also getting redeemed. It's also getting delivered. It's also getting rescued. That word bondage of corruption, do you guys see that in verse 21? You guys following along? You guys tracking? It's that word, it's the process of, of breaking down. It's the word that describes decay uh, and, and decomposition. The, the, the idea of that things decompose through time. You see, right now, things are getting worse, not better. Would you agree? Not just culturally with humans, but on earth, things are getting worse. Scientists tell us that, that there are uh, tectonic plates that, that are, are set at some point in the future uh, to erupt in a way and create such type of earthquakes that the world has not seen. Now, that falls in line with what we see in Revelation. We know that there's going to be an end of things. We know that things are going to get crazy. But for the world, the earth, the physical earth, there is a hope even coming for the world. Look at verse 22. He says, for we know... That the whole creation groans. Everyone say groans. Now everyone groans. Yeah, there we go. So look, look at verse 22. It says that the whole creation, not just you and I, but everything God created is groaning and labors with birth pangs together until now. That word to groan, it means to cry in pain. Now, I don't know about you, I've never heard a rock like start crying in pain, okay? But in a sense, I mean, think about our world and some of the, the, the crazy things that our world does. I mean, have you ever thought about a tornado? That is the most insane thing. Hurricanes, tsunamis, uh, our, uh, our world is crazy, all right? And it's groaning, listen, and notice what it says. It labors, look at verse 22, look in your Bibles, labors with birth pangs together. Now, I don't know how much y'all know about pregnancy, but you know that when a woman is in labor, she is ready to get that baby out. Listen, look at verse 22, okay, now with as now with that image in your mind look at verse 22 okay listen 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 we're told that the earth is ready that's the that's the imagery the earth is ready to experience the fullness of christ's redemption you see jesus's resurrection and redemption his power is going to affect the whole earth Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10 on the screen. Check this out. It says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together 
in one all things in Christ. When Jesus makes all things new, it's not just you and I, it's everything. Acts 3.21 says, Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. Do you guys see that? Restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. He will redeem. That's what I want you to write down. He will redeem not only the people he created, but the place he created. Because the place he created is going to be the place where his people dwell once again. But it's going to be new, right? New earth, new heavens. So Paul kind of then brings it back to the idea of inheritance. Paul shares with us that it's not just the physical created universe that is growing, groaning, but even you and I, we also experience some groaning. And so finally, the third point that we're looking at tonight is our hope. All right, verses 23 through 25, our hope. Look there, verse 23, okay? It says, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown. Everyone groan. Good job. Now look back at the verse. Grown within ourselves, listen, Look at verse 23, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Now, it says that we groan within ourselves. So it's not talking about that we just go around as believers, just like, oh, I just can't wait to get to heaven. This place is terrible. Okay, that, that's not, shh, listen, that's not what's being talked about because look at verse 23. It says to groan within ourselves. Because we are so ready to be home. Listen, the closer that you get in relationship with Jesus, the more that inside you're just going to be like, I, I just want to go. I'm ready. We, we see this with Paul. Paul said, I'm hard-pressed between the two. I want to stay here because I know God has plans, but I just want to be with him. I want to be home. For some of you, if you've not yet experienced that, then you just got to keep growing in Jesus. And as you do, you're going you're gonna to more and more have that reality in your life. But notice how he describes something that we have. Look at verse 23. He says, we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. I'm going to say first fruits. First fruits is the idea that we had a taste of that which is to come. And as a result, we long for more. Have you guys ever been to Costco before? Yeah. Costco, it's where the human pets go. Um, Costco, listen, is an amazing place because as you are shopping, they feed you. It's just, it's just great. Now, it's not only great for us, and especially great for you as kids because you don't even have to buy the food that you go there for, okay? But you know why they do that. Why do they put the samples out? Right? Yeah. You taste that chicken wing that, that just came out of that little oven that they have. You, you taste that little bit of ice cream that they put in those little tiny cups. And you only get a taste. And then you're like, Mom, we got to buy that. Or some of you might even like, you know, secretly take it out of the case and just hope Mom doesn't see in the mound of groceries, right? Listen, shh. Or it's kind of like, first fruits is kind of like the idea at like a, 
if you go to a fancy restaurant, you guys ever been to a fa- fancy restaurant? And, and it's that maybe that special time that you, your family actually orders an appetizer. And so, listen, and then you get the appetizer, and you're like, this is so good. If the appetizer's so good, I cannot wait for the entree. That is the idea of, notice what it says, first fruits of the Spirit. This is the picture. As you and I experience the love of God here, as you and I experience the peace and the joy that God provides, as you and I in worship are worshiping, it ain't nothing compared to the worship that you and I are going to encounter in heaven. It gets us close. But the idea of why God allows us to experience those things by His Spirit is just a preview of what is to come. And so, because of that, we have this internal groan. Say, oh, that's so great. And it's so much better than anything compared to in this life. And so notice what it says, we eagerly wait. We look forward. We are excited that there is this hope that we are saved in. There is this hope that we are saved in. Now, look at verse 24 and 25. Look in your Bibles. We're, we're going to descend the plane, okay? So hang in with me. Last couple of verses. It says, for what we were saved in this hope. We are saved the fact that Jesus promised us eternal life. This is our hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? This makes sense, right? If, if some of you are hoping that we are playing, say, a night game tonight, which we are not, but we have something better, okay? So, but listen, so some of you are hoping, right? Listen, shh, shh. I said we have something better, okay? You got to trust me. Listen, shh, shh. Now, once we get to whatever it is, then that hope, it's gone because then you see it. You see, oh, okay, this is what's happening. It would be weird if you're then there at what we're doing after service and you're still hoping for what you see. You don't. Hope is only for something that you don't see. That's why when Jesus, sorry, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he said that, that it is all about faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. It's because faith and hope are going to end when we die. We don't have to hope for heaven anymore. But the difference with our hope is it's not like other people's hope. Biblical hope is more of a waiting for what is going to happen. Listen, you don't have to hope that God's going to keep his promises to you. You can know it and then expect it and eagerly wait for it. Look at verse 25, our last verse together. But if we hope for what we do see, do not see, which, do we see the inheritance that God has for us? No, we get little, we get little uh, appetizers. We get the little samples. But we can't see heaven. We can't see eternity. We can't see the all things that we inherit. We can only see what the Bible says, and we get these little, it's like we're looking through a little hole, and, and we're trying to put the pieces together. When we get to heaven, it's going to all begin to come together. But for now, what does it say we do? We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You guys ever been to a surprise birthday party? <clears throat> you guys ever been to a surprise birthday party that you guys waited so long 
for the person to actually get there? Remember being at times at, at birth, you know, surprise birthday parties, and there's all those kind of false alarms. People are like, oh, we think they're coming, and you get behind the couch, and then it's like someone else, and you're like, oh, man. And like for like so long, you're like, you're just like, you're so eager. You're like, gosh, we can't even do anything until they get here. Right? And there's kind of that, that eagerness that you're kind of maybe having a conversation with someone, but you always kind of got to be attentive because you're kind of eagerly waiting. Notice it says, with perseverance. That's the power to keep going. Perseverance is a picture of that of a sol- soldier who's in the thick of battle, that whatever is going to come, whatever difficulties come, he's going to continue to fight on. A few more verses to share with you guys. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is where? Is in heaven. For which we also eagerly wait. Everyone say, eagerly wait. That phrase, if you have your own Bible, circle that phrase, eagerly wait. And we see it in Romans 8, verse 25. But we see it over and over again in other places of Scripture. Just like Philippians 3.20. And then 1 Corinthians 1.7. And just note down the reference. Again, we see eagerly waiting. Galatians 5.5 says, For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. And so guys, this is what it looks like. This morning, we talked about being led by the Spirit. And so day by day, we're led by the Spirit into the daily things of life. And at the same time, as we take it day by day, we always are looking to what God has for us as His children. You know, there's something about home is there not? I mean, I've loved camp, but I can't wait to get into my own bed and listen sh- sh- and shower in my shower that doesn't have nasty things everywhere. And you get out, and then you're like, your feet are wet because the people that showered before you like put water everywhere. And so then you're trying to like you're trying to put your shorts on, but your feet are wet, so you're trying to like dry off your feet, and then get, you guys know what I'm talking about? (sighs) Listen, stop. Listen, there is something about home. Listen, and the Bible describes for us that heaven, eternity is our home. And so I love camp, but I don't want to live here. I mean, God bless the people that live here, okay, and work at the camp. But I don't want to live in, in Ponderosa A. I don't want to live there. I love hanging out with you guys, but I'm excited to go home, okay? Listen. Shh. Even that, you know that feeling that you guys are going to experience as you get in your cars tomorrow, and you see mom and dad, and you go down the mountain, and you know that feeling when you, when you get into your own city, and you just, I don't even know, you can't describe that feeling, and then you get into your own neighborhood. Dogs know this, right? Dogs get that feeling. You ever have a dog in the car? They, like, know the neighborhood. They're like, what, 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 are, what are we doing? And then, and then when you've been away from home for a few days, maybe you've never experienced that. For some of you, this is your first time that you've maybe been away from home without mom and dad. 
you're going to experience that in a way that's just awesome. And, and then you, you step in your house, and you just like the smells, right? You're like, oh, this is just so familiar. This is just so good. It doesn't smell like old socks and farts, right? <laughs> Listen. Sometimes we fear the afterlife because we think it's going to be unfamiliar. Listen, shh, we, we all do to an extent. Sometimes we think like, man, what, we just don't know. Sometimes we, we just don't know what it's going to be like. Yeah, scripture gives us some insights. We can kind of see through of people. But sometimes we fear because what is it? Is it going to feel familiar? I think it's going to be the most intense feeling of being home that we've ever experienced. Even though we've never been there, the Bible says we belong there because we've been adopted. And so tonight, we're going to think about heaven. Tonight, we're going to think about going there. Tonight, we're going to think about experiencing the fullness. And I believe as we put our sights on heaven, it'll motivate us in the now. Amen? Let's pray. God, we, uh, God, we pray tonight that you would put in us the desire to see you and the desire to be with you. You are our inheritance. Sometimes, God, we know that we think about heaven just as a place. But we know that it's not just about the place, it's about the person. And that person is you. And it's amazing to us, and it's kind of mind-blowing, and we really don't know what to do with it, the fact that you would want us there with you. That you would go through so much, what, what is, from our perspective, trouble to get us there. And so God, as we worship in our final time together in this way, We want a taste of heaven tonight. As Moses said, show me your glory. We want to see you high and lifted up as Isaiah did. And I just pray that in this room, this pine center and mile high pines, this mountain in San Bernardino and Southern California on earth, that it would, it would be like heaven. It would just be all about you and nothing about us. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus.